0: Our gospel reading this morning is from Luke 22, verses 14 through 20. Luke 22, verses 14 through 20. Uh, This is during uh, what's known as the Last Supper. This is Jesus having that last meal with his disciples the night before he goes to the cross that next morning. Before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. God, we do thank you for your word that you have given to us. God, we pray that you would help us in uh, this time where we may have so many other things on our minds to direct our attention to your word. Lord, we ask that you would uh, give us ears to hear. He would give us minds to think. He would give us hearts that are soft and ready to be changed, to receive your word into our hearts and our lives today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke 2, 14 to 20. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink, it, drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And then in the book of Hebrews, which we are reading again this week for our Wednesday night um, Read Scripture Bible study, our New Testament lesson from Hebrews chapter 11, just verse 7. This is the chapter detailing how people from the Old Testament lived by faith. Verse 7 reads, By faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, we are continuing our series uh, called In the Beginning, where we have gone back to the book of Genesis and we are looking at how everything begins. Uh, We have seen the way in which, uh, so far, it has told the story of a God who is unlike all the other gods um, of any sort of paganism or idolatry, that this is, we're not dealing with a, uh, a dead God, but the living God. And we're not dealing with a weak God, but the all-powerful God. The one who is the creator of heaven and earth. And uh, as we looked at Genesis 1, we see him creating everything. And creating it all good. And creating it on purpose and creating it for a purpose. And making a place for everything and putting everything in its place. And so by the end of chapter 1, everything was good, even creating mankind in his own image. Male and female, he created them. That was chapter 1. In chapter 2, we see that uh, God is crea- is personal with his creation. Chapter 1 was more that camera out <laughs> uh, focus, and now we've kind of zoomed in, and we're looking at uh, creation creation, from the perspective of humanity. And we see that God is personally involved with his creation, talking uh, with Adam, saying it is not good for man to be alone, and and giving a command in order to lead to life. In chapter 3, we see that the people have turned away from that, going their own way in order to, um, well, do what seems right in their own eyes. And by doing so, they turn away from the life that God had for them, and they choose the way of death. And this becomes the pattern that we see echoed in chapter 4 and chapter 5 and the rest of human history, is people choosing what seems right in their own eyes, even though it is the way of death. And so in chapter four, we see violence increasing, vengeance increasing. In chapter five, we saw last week <clears throat> the genealogy that ends nearly every line with, and then he died. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then he died, and then he died, and then he died. Paul tells us that the wages of sin is death. And this is what we see in Genesis. Uh, three through five, in three there's sin, and then as we go on from there, what it leads to is just death upon death. And then we get to chapter six. Are things going to get better? Let's hear it all first, then we'll talk about it. Genesis chapter six. When human beings began to increase in number on the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful and they married any of them they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with humans forever, for they are mortal. Their days will be a 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God went to the daughters of human, humans and had children by them. They were the heroes of old, men of renown. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, and 30 cubits high. Make a roof for it, leaving below the roof an opening one cubit high all around. Put a door in the side of the ark and make lower, middle, and upper decks. I am going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens. Every creature that has the breath of life in it, everything on earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, and of every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away as food for you and for them. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. And that's where we are going to pause the story for this week. There's basically, we're going to spend uh, three weeks on the flood at Noah and the ark and all of that. And it's kind of a before, during, and after the flood itself. And then we'll spend another week on looking at the covenant specifically. But this before, during, and after is how we're going to mainly divide this up in chapters 6, 7, and 8. And so this morning, we are looking at before. So we're not even going to get to the rain yet. We're not even going to get to the flood yet. We want to look at the condition of the world before the flood. And one of the things that we see is uh, God saying, saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Now, what were we just talking about before we read that? Is the story going to get better? Is it not? We have seen from Adam and Eve that things have continued to spiral downward, that the violence has increased, that vengeance has increased, uh, that people turning away from God has just continued to, to increase, and that death is continuing to reign. Has it gotten better? Or has it gotten worse? Much worse. Much worse. In those first few verses when it talks about uh, the sons of God saw the daughters of humans were beautiful and they married any of them they chose. This is a very controversial section (laughs) with a lot of interpretations as to what this might be referring to. And uh, the only thing that we're going to say about this (laughs) is it's just another example of... Uh, something happening that shouldn't be happening. You have, uh, when it talks about sons of God, whether that is men in general, whether that is kings and rulers, or whether that is angels or whatever, it is those who are in authority who are uh, marrying any of those they choose as far as just using their authority to take these women who may or may not uh, be willing in that respect This is another example of how great the wickedness the human race had become. And then he goes on to detail that it's so bad that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Later, he says, uh, now the earth was corrupt. The earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. Do you hear this? Sometimes we read this story and we're like, oh, yay, it's a cute story about animals and stuff. This is not a cute story at all. This is a tragic story of the consequences of sin. Of the consequences of sin and, uh, and the death that it brings. And I think, unfortunately... It can sometimes be the case that we can read this story. And as we read this story, what we, we put ourselves in the story as though we are Noah. And the way that we read the story is like this. Almost everybody was bad in the world, but there was one good guy. And that because there was this one good guy, he could kind of look down on all the other bad people of the world. And this one good guy is saved because he's the good guy. And all those bad people, well, they just get what they have coming to them. And sometimes we read the story this way, and then we imagine ourselves to be in Noah's position. And we imagine ourselves to be the one good guy. And we can look out at the world, and we can see all the bad and all the evil, and we can see the things that are being done in this world, and we say, that should not be the case. And the problem is, very often, we're right in that respect. There was some very, uh, very sad news that came out this week regarding Ravi Zacharias. I'm not even going to detail it. If you know what I'm talking about, you know. But it was someone using their authority, using even the name of Jesus, to do horrible things and victimizing people who were not in positions of power. And when we hear of that kind of thing, we are absolutely right in saying that is wrong and that should not be done. But if that's as far as it goes, we're only about a third of the way (laughs) to where that needs to go. Because the real truth of the matter is, it's not that Noah was one good guy and we're all like Noah, you know, looking out at the bad and sinful world. We are the bad and sinful world. This is the problem. And that when we look at a situation that happened, like with Ravi, and we say that is wrong, uh, and I want to be very clear on this, it's going to be really easy to misunderstand me here, so (laughs) so stay with me. I don't want to say, hey, we're all sinners, everybody sins, so what he did is no different than what we do, and it's all the same, and so therefore, you know, let's not, you know, hold anybody accountable for anything. That's not right at all. What I am saying is this. The instinctual, knee-jerk revulsion we have when we hear, of somebody who violates somebody else in such a terrible way. And we have this sickening of the stomach when we hear of people who are being abused and misused and just vandalized. When we have that sickening in our stomach towards those acts, that is right. But my point is that that is the reaction that God has toward all sin. And that the little things that we excuse or that we think are little things have that same kind of revulsion and reaction from the holy God of heaven. And so when we read this story of Noah and we see that that there was wickedness on the earth and the earth was corrupt in God's sight and it was full of violence and it saw how corrupt the earth had become for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways, we're all in that boat. I read a bit from Not the Way It's Supposed to Be, A Breviary of Sin, <laughs> um, breviary. a while back. I'll read a bit more. It says, Youngsters eventually discover what the wise have known for millennia. People rarely commit single sins, thievery and lies lies about lies, macho pride and mockery and assault, laziness and snappishness and cheating and alcohol abuse that empties back into laziness. These sins and products of sin keep on replicating and bunching together like clusters of grapes on the vine. The clusters show up in individual persons, but also in groups in family systems, for instance, and in the places where groups and individuals meet. Hence, the corruption of persons, of communities, and of whole cultures. In The Ragamuffin Gospel by Brennan Manning, he tells a story. um, I would love to read the entire thing to you, but it's a story of a man who is in an alcohol treatment program and is in absolute denial that he has a problem. And everyone around him who is also there because of their own problem with alcohol just keeps saying to him every time he denies it, you're a liar. And they eventually make him come face-to-face with how powerless he is over alcohol in his life and the harm that it has done uh, to his family this is where i wish i could read the whole story to you it's way too long but it is uh it is worth reading as he will not admit it and they finally get his wife on the phone and she tells a story of him leaving his daughter in the car one day when he's feeling great feeling great about being great and he leaves her in the car while he just stops into the bar for just a second And he leaves the car running because it's cold outside and leaves the windows up and goes in and runs into some buddies and loses track of time. And by the time he comes out, it's midnight. The car's engine had long stopped running. The doors were locked, and she was in there, alive, but with badly bitten, frostbitten fingers and ears. They ended up having to amputate parts of her fingers. as his wife tells this story, He breaks down. He has been completely denying that there is any problem with alcohol in his life. Here's the point. The director then says to him, You unspeakable slime, there's the door on your right and the window on your left. Take whichever is fastest. Get out of here before I throw up. I'm not running a rehab for liars. The book goes on to say the philosophy of tough love is based on the conviction that no effective recovery can be initiated until a man admits that he is powerless over alcohol and that his life has become unmanageable. The alternative to confronting the truth is always some form of self-destruction. For this man, there were only three options, eventual insanity, premature death, or sobriety. In order to free the captive, one must name the Captivity. His denial had to be identified through merciless interaction with his peers. His self-deception had to be unmasked in its absurdity. It is all too easy for us. It is all too easy for us to live in denial and blindness to our own sin and the problem of sin that we have. It is all too easy to look at the sins of others and compare ourselves to them and then say, well, because I haven't done that, I'm okay. And not understand that the things that cause us absolute uh, disgust is the very problem we have. And so, as I said, if we, look at, if we look at a situation like with Ravi and we have this visceral disgust reaction, that's only a third. <laughs> Of <laughs> what we are to learn from this. The next third is that we are like those in Noah's day, corrupting the world as we continue in our own corruption of the sin that leads on to more sin, that leads to the cover up of sin, which is in itself a sin. And it continues and continues. And the way that we deal with it often is just through denial, self deception that's not the way this Wednesday is Ash Wednesday we are beginning a season of Lent it is a season in the life of the church uh, for a couple of things one is to consider our own mortality we talked about that quite a bit last week teach us to number our days but the other is to consider the reason for our mortality The reason that we have lost access to the tree of life because of our sin. And as we read the Noah story, we have to see ourselves as those on the outside of the boat, justly deserving death because of the way that we have corrupted and vandalized God's good world. We are those who are guilty. But, as I say, that's just the second third but there's a third third. (laughs) I read a quote this week that is fantastic when it comes to to the topic of sin. This is apparently by Joshua Arnold. I'm not sure who that is, but it says, if you point out someone's sins and fail to point them to Christ, you are no better than the devil. Hear that again. If you point out someone's sins and fail to point them to Christ, you are no better than the devil. I think this is absolutely true. The devil is called the accuser, and one of the things that he does is tries to uh, either blind us from our sin so we think we don't have a problem, or accuse us of our sin to the point of despair so we think that we don't have a solution. Both of those are wrong. We do have a problem but we do have a solution. And so what we see in Genesis 6 is God says to Noah, this is the problem. I'm going to wipe the face of the earth, of the human race I've created, and within all the animals. For I regret that I have made them. He says again, I'm going to put an end to all people. For the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. And again, I am going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under heavens. Every creature that has the breath of life in it, everything will perish. There is a problem. And the sin needs to be wiped clean. But the double problem is, if the sin is a part of the people at this point, how do you end the sin without ending the people? and then Noah and then God says to Noah But I will establish my covenant with you and you will enter the ark you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you Do you hear this The answer to the problem that God has here is a covenant I will establish my covenant with you, And as we will see in the weeks ahead, that Noah and his family do not suffer the same fate as the rest of the sinful world. Here we have a man who is described as being righteous, blameless among the people of his time. This does not mean that he was perfectly sinless in all ways, but that he walked faithfully with God. He walked faithfully with God. And God gets him things to do. Make yourself an ark. Here's how to make it. And now I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark. And this is, and it says at the end of this chapter, Noah did everything just as God commanded him. Noah walked faithfully with God. God establishes his covenant with him. This week is Ash Wednesday. and begins the season of Lent as we reflect on our sin and our need for a Savior. But did you know what today is as well? It's Valentine's Day. And one of the things that we think about on Valentine's Day is love. And, of course, the Valentine's Day verse is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. When we read in Luke 22 earlier, Jesus says, in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you we read this next week, but uh, there's a place where Peter talks about Jesus in the terms of the ark in this way, that those who are in Jesus now are very much the same as those who were in the ark in the days of the flood. That this is the only way of life. That Jesus uh, has made a covenant with us for us, for our good. That it is in his blood that we have uh, the solution to the problem. How can God wipe the world clean of sin without destroying us? We have seen clearly that the vandalism that we have done to his good creation is deserving of death. And I hope That we can all come to the point, if we haven't already, to recognize ourselves as those who have contributed to the vandalism of creation. The ways that we add to the lies and the deception, the ways that we add to the violence and the corruption. That we would be those who admit that we have a problem (laughs) with sin. Because it's only in facing up to that the reality of that, the recognition of our own hopelessness in that personally, that we can understand why the good news is good news. If our righteous anger against the sins of others just leads us to self-righteousness, we are still lost, even if we can identify their sins clearly. This was the problem of the older brother in the parable of the prodigal son. He could clearly see the younger brother's sin but he couldn't see his own. If we can see our own sin, but see it in the light of the love of God who has made a new and better covenant with us through Jesus, that he died for us, that we could be saved through him, it opens up a whole new way of life. We will continue over the next few weeks. This is the before the flood. Next week we'll look at the flood and then we will look at what happens after. But for now, to begin the season of Lent, this Ash Wednesday, consider uh, our own sin, but do so in the light of the love of God for us in Jesus Christ. Yes, we have a sin problem. And yes, we have a great problem. Savior. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, I do thank you for this day that you have made, and I thank you for your word, and I ask that you would help us to remember the things that we've heard. I pray that you'd help us to remember uh, that sin is not, um, is not normal just because it's common, that it is not right or okay just because everybody does it. And help us to remember that sin is a really big problem. Lord, I pray that you would make us more sensitive to the sins in our own lives, that we would recognize more and more the um, hidden motives that we try to hide, not only from others, but even from ourselves. Lord God, we pray that you would help us as we, as we do examine our own hearts not to do so apart from the presence of your Holy Spirit with us, guiding us into all truth, allowing us to see the depths of our own sin without ever leading to despair because we see it all in the light of your love for us in Jesus. Lord, we pray that you would help us not to listen to the accusations of the evil one, but only the conviction of your Holy Spirit, who you call our advocate, the one reminding us in every case, as we recognize each individual sin, that we turn and we repent from it, but we also understand that that sin too is forgiven. Lord, I pray all of this